I'm Leslie Louie, host of the Set Apart Podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. This week, we're continuing our historical mentor series, and I want to specifically talk about the principle of finishing well, Christian heroes who go the distance. And as I've mentioned in other episodes, that's one thing I love about Christian biographies is seeing how they finish the race well. It can be really easy to focus on what these people did during the prime of their life, but what about the final years of their life? What did that look like? So we're going to talk about what it means to go the distance and finish the race well Before we jump in, I wanted to remind you that there's only one week left to take advantage of our Set Apart Christmas specials. So if you're looking for Christ-centered gifts for the women in your life or even for men in your life, we have lots of different bundles and packages and great discounts. You can just click the link in this podcast description or go to setapart.org and click on Christmas specials. Those end December 15th. Also, it's a great time to register for the Set Apart Conference because for a limited time, we have an early bird discount going on. And you can get an additional discount for groups of two or more. So it's a great time to sign up to come out to Colorado with your mom, your sister, friends, or you can join us for the conference anywhere you are in the world via simulcast. Again, just go to setapart.org for info or click the link in this podcast description. Let's talk about the idea of finishing well and going the distance. Paul says at the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. It's so powerful to think about looking back on the years of your life and having that sense that you have fulfilled the calling, the purposes of God, that you don't have those regrets of, I've wasted my life, but you have this idea, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, I have fought the good fight. Of course, this doesn't mean Paul was perfect or that he never made any mistakes, he never veered off the path God had for him, but he can look back and know that he fulfilled the call of God on his life. And that is only possible by the enabling grace of God. But I love that principle. And I feel like I I see a lot of modern Christians who sort of fizzle or fade in their spiritual passion the older that they get. And it's often just seen as normal. We just kind of slow down and we lose that kind of youthful zeal that maybe we had when we first came to Christ. When Eric and I were young Christians and we were very fiery and very passionate about our beliefs, we used to hear that kind of thing all the time from older Christians. Well, just wait till you're a little bit older. Just wait until you have a lot more responsibilities and you have a job and kids and a house payment or whatever it is you're going to. That spiritual passion isn't going to last. And yet when you look at scripture, you see the opposite. You see Paul saying, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And you see that exhortation never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. It doesn't say, well, once you get older and the cares of life start weighing you down, you can let that spiritual fervor or that spiritual passion fade. And it's just something that has become normal in modern Christianity of just sort of plodding along and kind of irising out and not really finishing the race with victory and passion and triumph. And I do see a different pattern in the Bible, and I do see a different pattern in so many of these historical mentors that I look up to, and that's one of the things I find so inspiring about their lives. There are a couple quotes by C.T. Studd, who was a missionary who definitely finished his race well. He had a very fiery, passionate, sold out for Jesus lifestyle, and it did not fade even into his old age. He was still paving the way all over the world on the mission field. And a couple of things that he said have really stood out to me when it comes to finishing the race well. Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ 
will last. And so that is one of the secrets to finishing our race well and keeping the faith and going the distance with spiritual passion is we build our lives around things that are done for Christ, things that are going to last for eternity and not allowing ourselves to get caught up in the trivial, frivolous things that are so prevalent in our world, but that will not last for eternity. The other statement that he made that stands out to me is he's talking about missionary work. So any kind of Christian service, basically. And he said, the quote, romance of a missionary is often made up of monotony and drudgery. There is often no glamour in it. It doesn't stir a man's spirit or blood. So don't come out to be a missionary as an experiment. It is useless and dangerous. Only come if you feel you would rather die than not come. Don't come if you want to make a great name or to live long. Come if you feel there is no great Greater honor after living for Christ than to die for him. That is spiritual passion, that, that drive that says, it is an honor to spill my life out, to pour my life out for the one who poured his life out for me. And he's even really not trying to sugarcoat it. If you live a life of Christian service, and it doesn't have to be on a foreign mission field, any kind of life that is fully given to the cause of Christ, he says, it's not always going to be glamorous or romantic or exciting. We do it because we want to bring glory to the one who died for us. And that in a nutshell, I feel like is why some of these Christian heroes were able to finish their race so well. So I want to highlight just a few of them. Some of these are people that I've talked about many times, even in this series, but I just want to specifically focus on the final years of their life. And the first one is Amy Carmichael. She had such a powerful ministry to rescue these children in India who were being sold into temple prostitution. And the way that she raised them and nurtured them and trained them up as soldiers of the cross was so powerful. She was such a servant to the community. She started hospitals. She rescued women in abusive situations, just a constantly poured out life. And it was described of her that she flew from one place to another. She didn't just walk, she flew. And so she was very, very active. And then one day, all of that came to a screeching halt when she was in her 60s because she had an accident. She fell into a ditch. It was dark and she didn't see it. And she really damaged her legs and her spine. And she was bedridden for the last 20 years of her life. And even the day of that accident, before it happened, she had prayed the prayer, do anything, Lord, that will fit me to serve thee and help my beloveds. Meaning, Lord, do anything you want with my life. It will help me better serve you and those you have given me to bring up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And then the accident happened and you would think that God was doing the opposite of what she had prayed because how could she really be more useful and more of a benefit to serving other people if she was limited to her bed? And she was actually limited to that bed for the last 20 years of her life, if you can imagine. I know for me, just being down with a sickness for a few days is hard, but to be down for the last 20 years of your life when you're so used to being so active must have been excruciatingly difficult. And she's written a lot of books in that time that describe her battle with just surrendering and accepting where God had placed her. But she began to see as she began to accept and surrender to where God had placed her in that bed, that she had many fruitful years of ministry left. And so she continued to use her gift of words, her gift of writing and her passion for prayer to pour into those that God had entrusted to her. She continued to lead this ministry from her bed, from her bedroom, and she would write letters of encouragement and she would hold devotionals and she would give exhortations 
conversations. And so many of the things that she wrote were compiled into books that are now available for us to read. And they're so rich and so powerful and so pithy. She wrote a total of 35 books in her lifetime, and a large amount of them were written during those last 20 years when she was confined to her bedroom. She was a mighty prayer warrior, and she was an incredible godly counselor to so many people. She wrote so many letters. And so she had a very, very active ministry those last 20 years of her life. She was constantly encouraging, exhorting, loving, praying, and discipling. So for some people, when you find yourself in a state of when you're sick or you're not as mobile or something's happened in your life like that, many of us might think, well, this is a time to be taken care of and served by others and to be coddled and to be comforted. For Amy, she used those last 20 years of her life as a time of active spiritual labor all the way up until the very last day of her life. In fact, just a short time before her death, she was writing a letter of encouragement to one of her adopted children. And the last words that she wrote were to this young girl, if you mean so much to me, how much more to him, meaning Jesus. And just that simple, beautiful note of love and encouragement. When you ask all the different people who came into her room to visit her or to receive encouragement from her during that time when she was bedridden, the one word that they all used to describe her is her love. She just emanated the love of Christ. And it was not easy to be bedridden. One of her biggest fears or discomforts was to have to be served by others. She always wanted to be the one serving, and now she was the one having to be served. But even in that, in surrendering to that, she honored God and gave him glory. She didn't want any fanfare at her funeral. She died when she was in her mid-80s, and she didn't want them to make a big fuss over her, but they put a single word on her gravestone, Amma, which means mother, and that truly was what characterized her life. She was this godly, Christ-centered, heaven-focused mother to so many people. And I love the fact that she left a legacy, and so much of her legacy that is now just very actively exhorting the church even now today, so many decades after her death, a lot of that was developed during her time when she was bedridden. And so often we think, well, if we're not able to do the ministry we wanted to do or do the job or the role or go to this place we wanted to go because circumstances are standing in our way, God can still use us mightily exactly where we are when we fully yield to him. When Amy Carmichael first arrived in India and really all throughout her ministry years, she was constantly criticized by other Christians because of her radical stand for Christ, because of her high standards, just because of her focus in what she did in ministry. A lot of people thought she shouldn't get involved with rescuing these children, etc. But all of those people who criticized her and wanted her out of the country are long forgotten, and yet she is remembered. And she's remembered not because she chased after worldly applause or favor. She's remembered because she kept her gaze single-focused on Jesus Christ, and he honored her as she honored him. One of the things that Amy Carmichael is known for saying is that missionary work is simply a chance to die. 
And it's like that daily dying to self of sacrificing on behalf of others, of making herself fully available to God. That is why she has left such a powerful legacy with her life. And she finished the race well. That's one of the things that so inspires me about her. And the next hero that I want to highlight is Corey Ten Boom. There are two aspects of the later years of her life that really stand out to me. And one, I may have shared this story on a previous episode a number of years ago on this podcast, and I think it's a really funny and relatable story, and yet it really shows her vision for those last years of her life. She was traveling around the world for many, many years. She called herself a tramp for the Lord. She didn't really have a settled home. She was always living out of a suitcase. And that gets harder and harder, especially as she got older and older and now into her 70s. People were always telling her, when are you going to settle down? You must be tired traveling around like this. But she had such a burden to share the message that God had put on her heart with the church and to encourage the body of Christ. And so now she's in the grandmother years of her life, and other women her age had the privilege of sitting in easy chairs, holding their grandchildren on their knee, knitting, taking it easy as they grew older. A lot of older women wanted that quiet, simple life, but Corey had to constantly, to say yes to the call of God on her life, she had to constantly sleep in strange beds, travel on buses and planes, live out of a suitcase, and keep a very demanding schedule. That would be exhausting for any of us, let alone a woman who's getting into her late 70s early 80s. And in her book, Tramp for the Lord, she writes about a time when she was very tempted to leave the work that God had called her to and live a more normal lifestyle. She'd gone through some travel difficulties and some different just inconveniences, and it just caught up with her. And this is what she wrote. Self-pity is a nasty sin, and the devil uses it and always starts his talk with poor Corey. This time he began by saying, why must you always live out of a suitcase? Stay at home, and then you won't have trouble with customs officials, passports, luggage, plane connections, and other things. Every night you will be able to sleep in the same comfortable bed. After all, you are no longer young. It's time to hang up your harness and retire into a nice green pasture. Let someone else do the work. And then she thought, everybody will understand. They're always telling me I should slow down. So she wrote to a friend in Holland asking her to prepare a nice room with a comfortable chair for her to retire in. Later, she admitted, in my fantasy, I had worked out a lovely dream of heaven here on earth and me in the middle of it. But as Corey looked at her Bible and prayed about it, she began to realize that God had more work for her to do. It was not her job to give God instructions. She was simply to report for duty. She wrote a second letter to her friend saying, forget about that last letter I wrote. I refuse to spend the rest of my life in a pasture when there are so many fields to harvest. I hope to die in harness. And that was her decision. She wanted to die in harness. She did not want to stop loving and serving and sharing the gospel with anyone and everyone that she possibly could until it was time for her to go home to be with Jesus. Instead of having that easy, comfortable chair, which she could have easily done, and people, nobody would have looked down on her for that. She said, I want to die in harvest. There are so many fields to harvest. And that's exactly what she did. The last few decades of her life were truly astounding how God mightily worked through her and how tireless she was, even as she was getting older. And then the last five years of her life, she had had a couple of strokes and she lost her speech. And there's a really great book called The Five Silent Years of Corey Ten Boom that I recently read. And it's very beautifully done. It was written by the woman who was her caregiver during that time. And a few episodes ago, I talked about weakness in our spiritual heroes and how when we tell their stories, it's so important to emphasize what God did in their life and not just focus on human weakness sort of as this way of, hey, look, 
they made mistakes too, so we can all feel better about ourselves. That's not really the purpose of studying a Christian's life. And we talked about that in that episode. But one of the things I really appreciated about this book, The Five Silent Years of Corey Ten Boom, is how honoring her caregiver was to her during those last five years of her life. She was very much dependent on other people. She needed full-time nursing care. She had lost a lot of her mobility, her power of speech. She was mostly bedridden. And I'm sure that time wasn't easy. And yet the way that this book was written talked about how the love and the light of Christ still shone through her life in those five silent years and how many people she ministered to even without the power of speech. And there's a couple little tidbits from this book. There were two nurses who came in to help be a part of her caregiving team. And the caregiver who had been with her before she even had the strokes, who kind of knew a lot more background, had seen her when she was a lot more active, she thought, well, maybe the reason that I love Corey so much is because I knew her back in that state. But here were these two nurses who came in and didn't even meet her until she had lost her power of speech. And they were having a a conversation at the kitchen table one morning that the caregiver heard. And one of them said, what is the thing you most appreciated about Tante Corey when you first met her, said Barbara to Bernice. I guess that's the names of the two nurses, Barbara and Bernice. One thing I particularly remember, Bernice said, is that she just accepted me as I was and let me minister to her needs with a very helpful spirit. And then Barbara said, I was struck by the immediacy of her prayers. Whenever a request or a problem was mentioned, she closed her eyes, took my hand, and began to pray very direct. She really cares about us all. And I thought that was so beautiful. They also told a story of how this kind of grumpy old gardener that worked on the property that nobody could really reach when he would go into Corey's room, even though she couldn't speak to him, his face would light up and he would just feel so loved. And he would walk away from that room just so happy and just like a completely different person. And I think that is just so beautiful to see how the love of Christ can shine through and even minister, even when she was helpless and dependent on other people. Her caregiver summarized that book and all the lessons that she learned from Corey in those five years in saying this, through the hard circumstances of the last years of her life, the Lord had shown me a paradox. The deepest fellowship with him lies not in resisting when suffering comes our way, but in going through it resolutely with him. And Corey died on her 91st birthday. What a beautiful picture of finishing the race well. Another woman I'd like to feature in how she finished was Gladys Illward. On her tombstone, there is this scripture, John 12, 24, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And that was the testimony of Gladys Illward's life. Most of us know her story, and we did an episode on her in this series where she went to China on faith, didn't have any money, trusting God the whole way, and then poured her life out for the Chinese people, rescued children, and really almost lost her life so many times trying to save these children and really had such an astounding impact on this country. She had to leave toward the end of her life to go back to England. And then when she tried to return to mainland China, even though she had Chinese citizenship by then, she was denied access to the country. And so she ended up in Taiwan. And so here she is in the the last few years of her life, and she could have taken it easy, just like Corey Ten Boom, but she chose to open the Gladys Ilward Orphanage. And I remember hearing a recording of her talking about this, where God began to bring these vulnerable children to her, and she thought, I'm too old to take care of children. I've already done that in my younger years. I don't have money to take care of them. But then how God worked 
on her heart to the point where she opened this Gladys Edward orphanage, and it became her great delight to care for these children, even in her older years. And she died caring for these children. In fact, I think even the night that she died, she had a couple of babies in cribs in her room, and she was taking care of them through the night and died in her sleep. And it just what a beautiful picture of someone who finished the race well. She started out with love for the Chinese people, pouring out her life for them, and that's how she finished. A couple of other quick little stories that are not necessarily about women, but Christian heroes that I really believe finished their race well, that I just want to highlight quickly, would be George Mueller. He's known as the man who rescued all of those street children in Bristol, England. And he ran this orphanage for years and years and years just on faith. And God's miraculous provision was truly astounding. And later in his life, he had others, family members, I think his daughter and some others, his son-in-law, that began to run the orphanage. So he began to travel around the world and testify of what God had done in this life of faith and prayer and trusting and dependence on God and really stirring the church to have a greater faith in God. And George Mueller continued to pour into all of the orphans and street children that he had rescued, even as they were adults, as he sent them off into the world. He made sure that they were armed not only with education and and resources, but also the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he preached every week all the way up until the time that he died. In fact, I think he preached a sermon the day before he died. And one of the things I love about the way he finished was that he was praying for three specific unsaved friends all of his life, and he never gave up praying for them. One of them came to know Christ early in George Mueller's life when he was a young man. The second one came to Christ way later in George Mueller's life when he was in his older age. And then he died without seeing the third one give his life to Christ. But that man gave his life to Christ at George Mueller's funeral. So to see that vision that he had of wrestling in prayer and not letting go until the breakthrough came, and that God honored that prayer even after his death, that is an amazing picture of finishing the race well. Another person that I want to highlight is Robert Germain Thomas. I've mentioned him in other podcasts. He was a pretty obscure missionary that really died at a young age. He went to Korea only a couple of times, and he just barely got across on the shoreline because this was a time when Korea was completely closed to foreigners, and they would behead anyone who set foot on their soil. And so it was very difficult to get to the Korean people. And yet he was able to get a few Bibles to the people that lived near the shore where his boat would come. And it's a kind of a long story, so I'll summarize it to say that the last day of his life, he knew that he was going to be executed because they were attacking any and every foreigner that was able to be attacked that tried to land on their shores. And he was there. He had a Bible. It was the last Bible that he had. And he gave it to someone right before he was executed. There was a man and a young boy that was there at his execution. He was beheaded, and I think he was about 25 or 26 years old. So you think, okay, that's a waste. That's not really finishing well. You didn't really even do what you came here to do, which was witness and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that one Bible made its way into Korea, and that little boy who was there at his execution 
grew up to become the pastor of one of the first churches there. And he actually, his home became the the center of one of the first churches in Korea. And the home was wallpapered with the pages of that Bible that Robert Shermaine Thomas had gotten to him. And so when the missionaries were able to finally get into the country 20 or 30 years later, they were expecting to find people who had never heard of the Bible or Christianity. And yet they found a thriving church because of this man's sacrifice. And again, I feel like that is a beautiful picture of finishing well, even though he didn't end up, you know, dying an old man, still planting seeds for the gospel, he still finished his race well. And there are so many stories all throughout Christian history that I could point to. These are just a few highlights. But to catch that vision of not just kind of starting out strong and then letting the cares of life weigh us down or just becoming busy and preoccupied with our own things and letting that spiritual fire dwindle, but having that vision that Corey Ten Boom had that says, I refuse to hang up my harness when there are so many fields to harvest. I hope to die in harness. So I pray that each one of us will gain that vision for finishing the race well, whether our race is ending in 20 years, 40 years, 50 years, or soon. We are called to live each and every day with that availability to Jesus Christ, and He will work mightily through our lives to reach others for His glory when we do that. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into living a set-apart life for Christ, I invite you to visit us at setapart.org and look at the many resources that we have for you there. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.